Today, every answer matters more than ever before. Because whether it's about health, deliveries, or finance, some things just can't wait. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage millions of calls, texts, and chats with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to help your customers find the answers they need faster, no matter the industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash watsonassistant to learn more. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, but it's trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Now that big business has rediscovered the urge to merge, it's worth remembering some things here. Just because a deal makes sense, that doesn't mean it'll get done. And just because a deal gets done, that doesn't mean it'll make sense. After muted session where the Dow finished flat, S&P advanced 0.07%, Nasdaq declined 0.29%. We need to address merger mania because this market was dominated by deals today, both real and imagined. Before we get into the weeds, let me just lay out my position for you. I love mergers and acquisitions. The more deals we get, the higher the stock market goes. These transactions reduce the supply of stock floating around, and anything that takes out supply is good news, particularly if it's reapplied to buy back new stocks. However, I don't love speculating on mergers and acquisitions, especially when you're acting on a tip. As always, I say tips are for waiters. If you know for sure that a deal is coming, acting on that information is illegal. If you don't know, then you're just gambling. My rule of thumb, never bet on a stock just because of takeover speculation. Only buy the stocks of companies with healthy fundamentals. Then any potential deal activity, well, let's just say that's gravy. Which brings me to today's action. This morning, my Squawk on the Street partner, David Faber, reported that Xerox wants to buy HP Inc. with a combination of cash and stock. And that was indeed an offer that was confirmed this evening. There's only one problem. Xerox is an $8 billion business. HP is a $29 billion business. Yep, but it's current configuration. There's really no way that Xerox can pull this off. And it's pretty clear from the statement HP issued this very evening. The offer they got from Xerox is pretty much dead on arrival. However, if HP wanted to buy Xerox, well, that's a horse of a different color. One that investors are obviously thinking about because both stocks rallied today. Either way, this deal makes a ton of sense. Both companies sell into the same channels. If they join forces, they can combine an enterprise. Well, you can cherry pick the best salespeople, the same accounts, instant synergy, cut costs. At the moment, HP's personal computing business is thriving, but printers are not so hot. Still, the company has a plan to revive its sales and trim its workforce while generating enough cash flow to maintain that hefty 3.3% yield. But just because a deal makes sense, that doesn't mean it will happen. First, HP just got a new CEO, Enrique Loris, and he probably wants to at least kick the tires of his own enterprise before he makes such a major decision. Second, HP is trying to go for higher growth models, like uh, 3D printing, not more regular old printers, which has become a commodity business. While Xerox has some proprietary businesses of its own, it's mostly got the kind of businesses HP is moving away from. HP wants to be the leader in manufacturing digitization which is part of Lori's long-term plan that I've looked at and the one he just revealed. And this deal really doesn't further that. Okay, that said, I don't think the transaction's that far-fetched. 
About a year and a half ago, one of my favorite M&A writers, Ron Oral, reported that HP tried to buy Xerox in January of 2018. At the time, Xerox was negotiating an exit from its joint venture with Fujifilm, a deal that was just consummated, giving the company $2.3 billion in cash. With that out of the way, I think a takeover is more likely. So what do you do? I would sell HP into strength. I think it will have trouble hitting its numbers. If you want, you can take those profits and plow them into Xerox. It's got cash. It pays you nearly 2.7% yield. And the stock sells for just nine times earnings. I see no harm in owning this one. What else? Okay, last night, we started hearing that Walgreens Boots Alliance is thinking about going private. Now, this is a dangerous situation. We have CVS on the show later tonight. Fresh off its picture-perfect quarter. They're seeing strength in prescriptions, but also benefiting from CEO Larry Merlot's gutsy decision to acquire Aetna late last year. Why was the Aetna decision was such a brilliant move for CVS? Simple. Buying a managed care company helped them diversify away from the tepid sales at the front of the drugstore. It's the front of the store that's in direct competition with the retail Death Star that is Amazon. I bring this up because Walgreens doesn't have that kind of protection. It's pretty much a pure play, old-fashioned drugstore chain, which isn't enough to fend off the online poachers. Remember, they have better prices. I mean, oh, it, it, it's out there. Yet another big store, but with not a lot of special features or special prices versus something like a Costco or Walmart, to say nothing of Amazon. And so now we are hearing that Walgreens might take itself private. Are you kidding me? They'd be doubling down on exactly the part of business that's getting hammered there. I can think of worse decisions. But not many. Of course, anything's possible. Companies do stupid things all the time. GE did about four in a row. But if you're buying Walgreens here, betting it will be taken private, don't hold your breath, please. I say swap out of Walgreens and swap into CVS. Finally, there's Tiffany, the jewelry store chain. One of the best-run companies in the world, LVMH, wants to buy Tiffany. But they want to buy it on the cheap, somewhere around its current price of $124, roughly $15 billion. Let me be very clear. That's not going to happen. Don't get me wrong. I think it would make a ton of sense. This merger makes a just it, it's crystal clear that they should do it. Uh, Tiffany needs to be part of a larger enterprise. Tiffany, the brand, is worth a heck of a lot more than Tiffany, the brick and mortar retailer. I've been very impressed by CEO Alessandro Bogliolo. And if you haven't seen some of the new designs, I think you're missing out. That's a terrific reason to go to their stores and do some shopping. But it's not much of a reason for Tiffany to be a standalone outfit. Plus, nobody knows luxury like LVMH. They're too luxury as the New England Patriots are to football. To belabor the metaphor, Tiffany's a very good wide receiver, something for Tom Brady to hit to spread the ball around. It won't be able to, uh, to close all the stores to diversify from its U.S. anchor on its own, though. The task is too big for Tiffany to do alone. So it would make a ton of sense for Tiffany to get bought by LVMH as long as LVMH offers a reasonable price, meaning a decent premium to where the stock's currently trading. I hope they can make a deal because it's worth a great deal to both shareholders. Uh, Tiffany's got to see the light here, um, and LVMH has to, too. Again, I'm pro-merger because mergers reduce the stocks of the amount of supply out there. Lower supply, higher prices. We hate excess supply. Classic example today, the lockup on insider selling in Uber expired, causing more than a billion shares to be released. This stock's been a disaster. But if Uber could offload its Uber Eats delivery business to, say, Grubhub or DoorDash, I think its stock would make a beeline from 26 to 36. And the stock of the acquirer would also roar, too. Why? Well, DoorDash is private, but you know what I mean. Because there are too many companies in this particular delivery space. Too much competition. Anything that takes out a rival will benefit the entire industry. You know what else needs consolidation? I mean, how about all these cloud-based marketing companies or the cloud-based cybersecurity companies? We need some massive mergers to get those stocks going. 
Oh, and I happen to like the First Horizon Iberia Bank tie-up in the regional bank uh, space. We're going to hear from that later, but that's a very good example of 2 plus 2 conceivably making 5. The bottom line, while mergers can be fantastic if you own stocks, they're miserable if you own the stocks of poorly performing companies where you'll be left holding the bag if nothing happens. So enjoy the fact that we're starting to hear deal chatter again, but don't feel compelled to speculate on these potential deals. For the most part, that's a mugs game. Ryan in Alabama, Ryan. Hey, how you doing, Jim? I'm doing well, Ryan. How about you? I'm doing good. So I got a question about Taylor Brands. So they're selling one of their corporate apparel lines and one of their two Canadian distribution centers mm-hmm. to lower their debt. And they're talking about cutting their dividend and using that money to potentially do a share buyback program. With all this in consideration, do you think there's any more upside to the stock? In the near future. Oh, Brian, we got to be candid with each other here. I think that Taylor Brands is one of those dying brands. Now, maybe it can bounce. But the, the fact is, is that I even struggle to try to figure out why to recommend VF Corp right here. Uh, I happen to like Columbia. They're terrific. And uh, my uh, condolences to Mr. Boyle for losing his terrific mom. But I do not want to uh, recommend anything in that apparel sector right now other than perhaps a Nike or Columbia. Let's go to Gregory in California. Gregory. Good day to you, kind sir. How are you? I'm good. How about you? I'm doing okay. I can't complain in the California sun. But my, my, one of my favorite stocks that I talked to you about some time ago really got spooked on Halloween. It was a pretty terrifying October 31st earnings report for Mercado Libre. And I bought in the mid-500s. It dropped 80 bucks, And it's dropped some more since then. So I, I wanted to talk to you about that and see if I should consolidate, if I should sell it, if I should hang on to it. I did listen to the earnings call, and it, it seemed like uh, uh, it may just be one of those high-growth flying stocks that got murdered. I agree with you. I, I Look, I know that there are people who cut the price target. A lot of the analysts got running the other way from it. It's the only game in town down there. And it's, in the end, it's a stock that I think I've liked since it came public. I'm not going to deviate. I'm going to stay, stay, tell people to be in it. Let's go to Joe in Connecticut. Joe. Hey, Jim. I love your show. Thank you, You Joe. are the Jack Vogel of uh, individual uh, stocks. Jack was I, an I, amazing I man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Um, so one of your stocks, I think it's, it, it is one of your favorites, but it had a, it's had a, a, a little drop lately. I want to see uh, American Tower. What, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this forward. is just pure profit taking. People didn't want to buy the high growth stocks. American Tower is the classic name, uh, classic growth name. I would buy the stock right here. We need more towers. There's no doubt about it. 5G requires them. I think that this is a very good stock here. We recently had Jim Tacklin on, and I thought, hmm, you know what? If this one comes in, buy it. It has, buy it. All right. There's a plethora of deals roiling the market. Some deals are super. Some are miserable. Be careful of what side you're on. Oh, man, money today. CVS offered this market a booster shot after reporting an earnings beat. I'm sitting down with the CEO fresh off the report. Then should you be hitching a ride with Uber or Lyft in this market? I'm comparing the ride-sharing companies. And First Horizon announced the second biggest bank deal of 2019 this week. I'll find out what it means for the stock and your portfolio when I find out what's on the horizon with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. 
Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. The goal? Explain the 1990s in exactly 60 songs. Tupac, Warren Hill, You Oughta Know, Cream. The greater goal? Move past cheap nostalgia to something deeper and weirder and better. My name is Rob Harvilla. I'm a music critic at The Ringer. And whether you're full of teenage angst or you feel bored and old, whether you don't know the song at all or you know it far too well, my new show will take you through the decade one song at a time. It's 60 songs that explain the 90s. Follow and listen for free on Spotify. Look at the stock of CVS Health Run. I've been a big believer in this story ever since CVS bought it in a big managed care company for $69 billion a little less than a year ago. But the market was a lot more skeptical. The stock got pummeled for months in the wake of the deal for bottoming in the 50s this spring, and it's taken almost two seasons for this to recover. Today, though, CVS reported a phenomenal quarter. The company posted a $0.07 earnings beat off of $1.77 basis, higher than anticipated revenue, rising 36% year-over-year, robust same-store sales, up 3.6% clean beat. On top of that, management raised their full-year forecast for the second quarter in a row. All of CVS's health businesses met or exceeded expectations, just as CEO Larry Malo predicted when we spoke to him in March. And CVS is still cheap, even after today's 5.4% gain. Right now, 10 times earnings. Uh, still down more than 10 bucks from, from its peak a year ago. I bet it's got a lot more room to run. That's why it's become one of the biggest positions in my charitable trust. You can follow along by joining the ActionLawyersPlus.com club, but don't take it from me. Let's speak with Larry Merlot. He's the bankable president and CEO of CVS to get a better read on the quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. Merlot, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, Great to see you, Larry. How is he? Great to see you. You know, we live in a what have you done for me lately market, but I'm going to, rate, I'm going to reverse that. Tell me how you did it, because once you tell us how you did it, then I'm not as worried about the future, because you've got a great template now. You know what, Jim? It's really a tribute to our 300,000 colleagues. They, they believe in our strategy, our vision, and they're working hard every day to bring that to life. And you know, we're seeing the benefits of that, uh, as you just talked about in the quarter and our outlook for the year. Well, I've got to tell you, there are so many places to go here. I do want to start with the concept that uh, a lot of people were skeptical about buying a managed care company. Some of this because, like, the Democrats, a single pair. But this integration with Aetna and the membership surge, I mean, something is about that they like about CVS that you have much better membership gains than a lot of the managed care companies. You know what, Jim, as we look at the challenges in healthcare today, you know, we're seeing the emergence of consumerism in healthcare. Yes. You know, what we've been talking about as a retail health consumer. And, you know, as we think about the opportunities in this CVS Aetna combination, the opportunity to make healthcare local, meet people where they are, whether it's in the community, right. in their home, or in the palm of your hand, how we can make healthcare you know, more simple to access and navigate, and our North Star helping people achieve their best health outcome, right. and in doing so, reduce overall healthcare costs. Well, in light of that, I mean, this hub, this hub initiative seems to be working. I don't want to get too far ahead of us, but. That can be rolled out nationwide, right? Jim, we're well on our way. You know, we piloted it earlier this year in the Houston market. Right. Uh, we're now bringing that health hub concept to Philadelphia, Tampa, uh, Atlanta uh, by the end of this year with plans for 1,500 health hubs across the country by the end of 2021. And what we've seen in Houston is validating the beliefs in our strategy, this retail health consumer and what we can do to help people on their path to better health. Well, for those I mean, the analysts, all, they know that 
what the, these hubs look like. If for the R audience, which you know is very, very uh, retail-oriented, what is exactly a hub? Well, you know what, Jim? It, it's taking our CVS pharmacies and it's repurposing some of what we call the front of store to more health-related products, health-related services. You see an expanded clinic. The role of the nurse practitioner expands. Uh, he or she can treat about 80% of what a primary care physician can do. At the same time, we can be a complement to the role of the physician when you think about the growing incidence of chronic disease and the right. fact that people, again, aren't following those care plans to achieve their best health. The role of the pharmacist expands to do more than just dispensing mm-hmm. a prescription. And then we have related you know, wellness programs that are offered in the store. We have uh, nutrition programs. And you know, all of that with our health focus expanded while continuing to maintain elements of convenience that focus on you know, the beauty, the personal care categories. I know there were people who told me, well, listen, Jim, you've got to be careful. These guys are up against Amazon. Amazon's buying a pill company. Amazon can't duplicate that. You know what, Jim? Innovation has become part of our DNA, and our teams are doing a great job to identify, is there any white space that we can, right. that we can leave uh, to be disrupted by others? And you've seen us do a number of innovative things, uh, whether it's home delivery, you know, our by, subscription by service. Uh, now we can deliver to your driveway with drone, with our partnership with UPS. Uh, we had our first launch of that within the last few days. And, you know, so our teams are just doing a great job in terms of working hard to meet the needs of the consumer. Now, I, I think that people have to recognize what is different between a CVS now. I mean, I have my CVS that I go to all the time, as you know that. It's got food up front. It, it's, and I, look, I like that because that's where I get my food because it's in walking distance from my house. But that's not what the story of the future is going to look like. You know what, Jim? Our journey as a healthcare company, it began many years ago. Think about 2014, we eliminated the sale you know, of tobacco products. We've gotten many learnings from that. And what we heard from our consumers is, help educate me on more healthy alternatives. Right. And you've seen us do a number of things of you know, introducing uh, you know, healthier snack food items, more convenience right. items that, you know, that really speak to that dynamic. Uh, you did some. You mentioned the tobacco, and you pulled it. And people have to understand that hurt your earnings, but it didn't matter because you were changing your company to healthcare. Uh, I know. I have to talk about this because we were chatting about it before. Uh, is some of your work being undone uh, by vaping? You know what, Jim? We were very proud of what we saw that first year that we removed tobacco. We saw 95 million fewer packs of tobacco products sold across the country. There was a direct correlation to CVS market share in that rate of decline. Right. You know, unfortunately, especially with school-age children, we're seeing that go the wrong way with, you know, this growing, uh, you know, uh, concern with, with vaping. I saw some stats that 78% of, you know, our youth that are still in school that, you know, have begun to vape will begin to use tobacco products before they finish high school. We've got to get our arms around that issue and reverse that trend. You become a great spokesperson for health care. Do you think that we can ever... Uh, use your model to actually cut healthcare spend in this country. You know what, Jim? I we are all confident that you know we have opportunities. Again, back to that north star, you know, of helping people on their path to better health. You know, if you can engage the consumer, and this right. is our goal to engage right. them more. You know, to make health you know part of their regular routines. You do that with the right products and services. 
you know, we can and will improve health outcomes. And when we do that, we'll reduce overall health care costs. Were you surprised to hear that some chatter about Walgreens going private, given the fact that all they've really been doing is doubling down on the part of your store that I know that you're always worried about? Well, you know, Jim, I certainly can't comment on rumors that we see in the marketplace, but, you know, we are very excited about uh, our strategy. As you said, we talked earlier this year, you know, it was on a piece of paper, but, you know, that vision, that strategy is coming to life in a meaningful way. And what we're hearing, what we're seeing from, you know, our consumers, our clients, uh, the payers is validating, you know, that that strategy is, in fact, the right one. Chance that it could be happening at the targets? You know what? Target is an important part. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of the things that we're doing with our pharmacists around what we call pharmacist panels, we'll be able to execute some of those same programs out of our CVS pharmacies within the Target stores. It's been a great partnership with Brian Cornell and his team. He loves you guys. Last question I need to ask because people are always worried about the dividend. They were saying you took on so much debt. You're a cash machine. Couldn't believe how much debt you paid down, right? That's right. Jim, we paid down, you know, about $8 billion since, you know, we, uh, we closed the transaction. And, you know, we have a plan to achieve, you know, our leverage ratios in 2022, get to that low three times and be able to, you know, begin to expand our capital deployment strategies. Well, I'm going to congratulate you on everything you've done. The stock is way too cheap. The work that you've done is just admirable and terrific. Thank you so much to Larry Merlot, who's the president and CEO of CBS Health. Guys, this is the kind of stock that it's a value stock with great growth. Stick with Kramer. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Binge on 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, and everything from hit movies to the latest news, comedy, live sports, and more. Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, or Fire TV and start watching now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. Normally stocks in the same sector trade together, and stocks in the same industry trade almost in lockstep. But every so often you get an abnormal situation where the stocks of two extremely similar companies take off in opposite directions like we're seeing right now with Uber and Lyft. For months, these two ride-sharing plays were the poster children for everything wrong with the IPO market in 2019. Uber and Lyft both came public in the spring with incredibly disappointing action right out of the gate. They both tried to rally over the summer. They both broke down in August, and they both kept falling until mid-October. Last month, though, both stocks started rebounding from their lows. After an initial flirt with Lyft, I have to tell you, I've been very bearish on these two, so I wasn't sure what to make of this move. Dead cat bounce, legitimate bottom. Given that these ride-sharing outfits are exactly the kind of growth names the market turned against over the summer, ultra-fast growers that are a long way from turning a profit, I didn't care to speculate. Didn't seem worth it. But a funny thing happened over the past week. Lyft reported a decent quarter last Thursday, and then Uber reported an ugly quarter on Monday. All of a sudden, these two stocks that had been trading together for months and months and months are now moving in opposite directions. Lyft's hanging in there while Uber's breaking down. And when you take a closer look, I think they could keep moving in opposite directions. Yep, I'm pessimistic about Uber's prospects right here because they're committed seemingly to lose money, particularly because of Uber Eats. But Lyft, 
Lyft could be worth another look. There's no Lyft Eats. I'm going to tell you why. First of all, it, it's worth noting that the two ride-sharing kingpins were already disentangling themselves when they reported in August. The last time we got results from Lyft, it actually shot the lights out, smashing Wall Street's expectations uh, with, with bountiful revenue growth, impressive cost controls, spectacular guidance, including a narrower-than-expected loss versus last year. And suddenly I started thinking, maybe it's not just a glorified cab company. While Lyft stock jumped 3% the next day, there's, that's where it peaked, though. Why? Well, some of it's because that's where the market turned against the hyper growth names. But mostly I think it's because Uber reported a couple of days later and Uber's numbers were much more mixed. Wow. The top dog posted weaker than expected sales, even as its earnings were better than feared. The lesson of the last quarter is that Uber's a lot more complicated than Lyft. Wall Street doesn't like complication. It's got a sprawling international business. It's not a pure play on ride sharing thanks to Uber Freight and Uber Eats. And it's shipping and and food division. I have to tell you, the Uber Freight, just so you know, the freight business went down. Uber Freight business did well, but the rates went down for all freight. Now, the stock got hammered on the news. It's plunging from 43 to 33 over the next week. And then the pin action dra- dragged down lift, too. Then, with the rotation out of growth, both stocks spent months getting hammered. Until four weeks ago, when they turned around and started running into earnings season. From October 10th to October 30th, Uber rallied 18%. Lyft pull vaulted 24%. What happened? In this case, I think it was positive pin action from Lyft pulling Uber back up. See, Lyft came public in March, and the lockup on insider selling expired a month early. On August 19th is when it happened. That's another reason the stock got hammered over August and September. You had a massive quantity of previously restricted stock hitting the market. But by the time mid-October rolled around, most of the insiders who wanted out, well, they had already sold. They'd gotten rid of a major overhang. Then two weeks ago, Lyft's two senior and most executives spoke at a Wall Street Journal event, telling investors that the company's earnings for interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization would turn positive by the fourth quarter of 2021. The analysts who followed the thing hadn't even been dreaming of profitability within the next two years. In response, the stock caught a wave of upgrades and price target hikes. Wall Street has no patience for unprofitable growth plays right now. But a growth name that has a clear path to profitability, well, that's a different story. So Lyft stock roared. Uber rode its coattails. Which brings us to last Thursday when Lyft reported yet another excellent quarter. The company delivered higher than expected sales, up 63% year over year, very high of the companies I follow, with a much smaller than anticipated loss, a 28% increase in active riders, 27% increase in revenue per rider. Management's guidance was, for next quarter was extremely bullish. Once again, they raised their full year forecast. That's phenomenal. Look at this. This is what you're looking for, right? It's what I'm looking for. Here's how CFO Brian Roberts put it on the call. Quote, when we reported Q2 back in August, I described second quarter sales and marketing leverage as truly exceptional. Well, sales and marketing leverage in the third quarter was truly, truly exceptional. End quote. What about cost containment? As I'm here, I'm quoting again. As a percentage of revenue, sales and marketing was 16 percent in the first quarter versus 41 percent from the same period a year ago, representing a decline of over 60 percent. End quote. The holy cow. Wow, they're running a good company. Robert said they made it happen by, quote, taking advantage of the healthy market environment to reduce coupon incidents and drive operating leverage, period, end of story. I just got a huge coupon, by the way, for Uber. I don't know if you got it 50% off. You been. Someone said to me the other day when I got, uh, I made a wrong decision in, football, in fantasy football, they said, <laughs> you've been Ubered. In short, for the second quarter in a row, Lyft knocked it out of the park. Sure, they're still losing money, but they've made major strides to get costs under control. Managers promised to deliver positive EBITDA by the end of 2021. Now sounds incredible. However, because the stock had already run into the quarter, it initially bounced just 3.4%, ultimately finished the session down 6%. I'm calling that profit-taking. Now, when Uber reported on Monday, ooh, messy. 
While their sales and earnings were stronger than anticipated, gross bookings disappointed again, and both monthly active users and total trips were a little soft. The biggest negative was this Uber Eats, the online delivery service. We know the industry is in horrible shape. Just last week, the biggest player in the space, Grubhub, had a total meltdown after management told investors that they were going to earn far, far less than anyone expected as the industry's gotten way too competitive and the diners have become promiscuous. Yes, the promiscuous diner. I've been looking at open 24-7. Don't get me wrong. Uber's also making major strides toward profitability. I'm giving them that. Management believes they can start breaking even in 2021, too. I'm giving them that. But the stock still got obliterated yesterday, down nearly 10% before losing another 4% today. Why? In addition to all the hair on the quarter, Uber's lockup on insider selling expired. The company's got 1.7 billion shares outstanding. About a billion of these shares just became tradable today. A lot of speculation that because it's under a lot of people underwater, they wouldn't sell it. Oh, come on. They sell it when they think it's going lower, and they buy it if they think it's going up. Remember, Lyft got obliterated by its lockup expiration over the summer. I wouldn't be surprised if Uber's just having the same experience, although I was, I, was, I was gratified that it didn't go down much more than it did. The bottom line, it's still way too early to go bottom fishing in Uber. The market's being flooded with supply here. It's going to clear up, but that's what's happening. Lyft, not only is it lockup expiration already in the rearview mirror, it's now reported two terrific quarters in a row. And that's why I think Lyft is fondly worth buying here. We should have Lyft on the show because we like them and they've been on. Uh, but because of its lack of profitability, let's be clear, it's just for speculation. Or for young people who use it instead of buying cars. Greg in Ohio. Greg. Hey, Jim. A big Columbus, Ohio. Booyah to you and go Brownies. Yeah, why not? Okay, what's up? <laughs> Uh, I was just wondering what your thoughts on the stock Lavongo Health is, uh, mm. ticker LBGO. We I like noticed- this. We like it a lot. We, I know it hasn't been that good, but we, you know, we were actually thinking, we were speculating, if Tim Cook were in an acquisition mood, well, you would be a buyer of it. But he's not. Still, I think it's a good situation. Right, typically, stocks in the same sector trade together. But every so often, you get a situation like we saw in Uber and Lyft. Lyft is a buy right now. Uber, not so much. Okay, there's much more mad money ahead, including my sit-down with First Horizon CEO. What does its merger with Iberia Bank mean for you if you're a shareholder? Do not miss my exclusive. Then hyper-growth stocks can't seem to get any respect in this market. I'm explaining why with one that I think is critical to this entire market. You've probably never heard of it. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. This man does not care about earnings as much as he cares about health. He's not a dollar sign represented by a man like I am. He's a man of great conscience. Wow. That's very nice. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. After a lengthy dry spell, we finally started seeing some merger activity again. Take First Horizon, the Tennessee-based regional bank, more than 250 locations across the southeast. On Monday, we learned that First Horizon is merging with the Louisiana-based Iberia Bank to create a new regional bank in Colossus. It's a merger of 
Well, let's say not quite equals, with First Horizon shareholders taking 56% of the combined company. Well, one's $5 billion, the other one's 4 Now, this company has been one of our favorite regional names for ages. After languishing for years, the group's begun to rally over the summer. And while First Horizon stock got dinged after the company reported a solid quarter a few weeks ago, it swiftly rebounded even before the deal was announced. I am very intrigued by this combination, so let's dig deep with Brian Jordan. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of First Horizon National. Learn more about the Iberia Bank merger and what it means. Mr. Jordan, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. All right, Brian. A lot of people feel that the day of mergers and banks is over, that some of them are just too big to merge. You continue to find ways to grow through mergers. Tell us what this one means for First Horizon shareholders. Well, this is pretty exciting for us. As you know, we've been a one-state franchise. We merged with Capital Bank, expanded into the Carolinas, and now with Iberia Bank, the combination in this merger of equals creates a real southern powerhouse. Iberia Bank has a presence in Louisiana, Florida, and multiple states across the southeast like Alabama and Georgia where we don't have a presence. And we create a tremendous franchise, strong presence in Florida, high growth markets all across the southeast, and a balance sheet that gives us the capability to serve customers in new and differentiated ways. Now, how different are the two banks in terms of the different systems you have? Uh, we've learned that sometimes when these bank mergers get together, whether it be through cybersecurity or whether it be through uh, the, the kind of uh, programs that digitize, that sometimes it is difficult to merge. Sometimes it's easy. How different are the two banks? The, the systems, I think, will, will be relatively easy. And the encouraging part to me is, is the culture of the two organizations are very, very similar. We have similar go-to-market strategies. We have a community orientation. We have local market decision-making, a customer partnership focus. And with limited overlap, we think we'll have limited impact on not only our customers, but also our employees and customer-facing folks. I'm incredibly conscious of the fact that where you've moved to now is the other hottest area of the country, which is that Louisiana, uh, Florida area. And you're already in what I think is the fastest growing market in our country, which is Tennessee. Uh, do you see an above, uh, above GDP growth for the area that you're now involved in? Yes, we have strong economic growth. In, in the South, the customer activity continues to be very good, and I'm encouraged by what I see, not only in, in talking to customers, but also what we see in financial statements and balance sheets. And one of the neat things about this, this combined franchise that Iberia Bank and, and First Horizon bring together is an above-market growth rate. We're forecasted to grow in household growth rate 25% faster than the United States as a whole. So not only is the South strong today, we think we're positioned in this merger to be an even better growth rate for the long term. I keep seeing uh, organizations move to your area. Uh, particularly to, to Tennessee, but of course, because of oil and gas, how well people are doing in Louisiana is amazing. Uh, and I'll give you an example. I saw Mitsubishi uh, shifted its North American headquarters to Tennessee. Uh, Alliance Bernstein, holy cow, that moved to Tennessee. Uh, I, it was certainly noticed this weekend at College Game Day, where you can see that Memphis is kind of on fire. Tell me what right. is about the great migration into your area of banking. Yeah, it, it's fantastic not only for, for us as bankers, but it's great for our communities. It, it strengthens the entire community when you have an in-migration. And 
as as I've mentioned before in conversation, it, look, it, it helps to have good or favorable tax policy, good work environment, and and good, strong quality, high quality labor and educated workforce. And, and not only here in Tennessee, but the Carolinas, Florida, all across the South, we have got a, a great opportunity to continue to attract in-migration of business and talent and see strong, strong economic growth over the next several years. One last question. I know that when we spoke last, you did feel that maybe the Fed had gone overboard. Uh, now they've uh, done the cuts that I think that both of us feel are necessary. Positive signal? I think I think it's a positive signal that they've cut and they signaled a pause. I think they feel like, at least in their communication, that they have gotten to a place where they want to see some more data. I think the third quarter GDP data was encouraging. And as I said, what we see from borrowers and the economy, at least here in the South, it continues to look good. The consumer's strong. I'm encouraged about the outlook. Well, well, congratulations on, I think, what's going to be a very, very good deal. That's Brian Jordan, the chairman, president, and CEO of First Horizon. Remains my favorite regional bank. Mad Money's back after the break. It is time. It's time to get a lady and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? The lightning round comes in. Let's start with Marie in Arizona. Marie. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Marie. Why did you talk about L3 Harris Technologies? I think that that is my absolute favorite of the defense contractors. You know, it used to be United Technologies, and I like that Raytheon. Wow, how about that going? But this thing is coming down for no reason. Bill in Florida. Bill. Yes, hi, Mr. Kramer. Yeah. I'd like to know where Humana goes from here. I think Humana goes up. Now, remember, this is just a referendum on who is winning in the Democratic Party. And if it's Elizabeth Warren, people sell it. I think right now the moderates are more in charge. People realize that health plan of hers is too expensive by Humana. Sam and Messages is Sam. Mr. Kramer. Yes. I'm looking to make a position in, um, in the energy sector, and uh, I'd love to pick a shovel. What do you think of KMI? No. I mean, I know I know that uh, that Rich Kinder continues to buy stock. I think the, uh, the both the C-Corp and Mass Limited Partnership Center pipelines are just losers. I'm unmitigatedly uh, negative on them. Sorry. Let's go to Danny, New Jersey. Danny. What's up, Jim? Not much, Danny. How about you? I'm doing great. I'm calling about stock farfetch limited man that's not that good that's another power play I, you know i uh-uh no we're not going to go there I and mean, these are i don't care if it's online or not they online offline no thank you how about nick and florida nick Florida mania wow khc khc everyone's decided that it's back and it's bigger than ever me i say scale sell, sell, sell. out because this one is got no growth how about richie in ohio richie Jim, how you doing, sir? I am good. How are you? I'm good. I'm a big fan. That's probably my fourth time calling. Well, there you go. Lost count. Love it. I'm a I'm a big fan of data centers. I want you to uh, shed some light on Switch. Yeah, Switch is good. You know, I like Cyrus One. I think that that one. I mean, I, I, look, I do like the data center business. But if you take a look about what I like about the data center business, I also like I like growth and I like yield. Uh, and, and, you know, I just don't see it um, with Switch. They don't have it. Let's go to Joe in California. Joe. 
Oh, yeah, Jim from Southern California. Nice to have you. Uh, first, first, let me thank you for your help in the, letting us be better understanding of the market. And then thank the you. stock I had a question on is USCR, U.S. Concrete. you got to get an infrastructure bill for me to like that stock. I mean, I always thought, look, I thought it was a Nash that we were going to have an infrastructure bill. It hasn't happened, and that stock is totally in abeyance. Catherine, New Jersey. Catherine. Hi, thanks for uh, taking my call. Of course. <laughs> the stock I'm calling about is Anneli, N-L-Y. No, we don't really know what they are. I mean, it's just a very high-yielding thing. They issue stock. I'm going to say absolutely not. Absolutely not. Let's go to Nick in Michigan. Nick. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I am good. How about you? Good. Um, I was wondering, do you believe Aurora Canvas Company is on discount right now? And what's No, the I don't, because the group is just under heavy pressure, and every time it sticks its head up, it just gets completely whacked. They're playing whack-a-mole with these. we got to wait until one of them shows a really big profit, not just a free. Let's go to Rich in Florida. Rich! Uh, yeah, Jim, this is Rick Steck was from Naples, Florida. Oh, I watched nice. the show for many years. Thank you. My question is... About Microsoft, it's in, it seems to be in a holding pattern. Yeah, but remember, this has been the great stock of the era. It is uh, doing what I call continuation pattern. I think the longer it stays up here, the better. I want you to own Microsoft. And that, ladies and gentlemen, other lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. When will this market stop punishing the cloud stocks? Lately, it feels like nothing these companies can do is enough for this market. If they report a good quarter, nobody cares. If they actually miss numbers, then they're toast. Consider the case of HubSpot, the cloud-based digital marketing platform that we've been mentioned a few times before. HubSpot's been one of the standout performers of the era. Two years ago, the stock was at 83 bucks. Less than three months ago, it was north of 200 but going to the quarter last night, it had already sunk to 151. And today, well, it got beaten down to $145. What happened? The company did report a terrific quarter last night. HubSpot beat expectations on pretty much every single line. That includes earnings, where they made 32 cents per share. They actually have earnings when Wall Street was only looking for 24 cents. Better yet, management raised its forecast for both the top and bottom line. Three months ago, before the cloud stocks went out of style, this would have been a picture-perfect quarter, and the stock would have shot higher rather than going down six bucks. These days, the cloud stocks are no longer fashionable. So investors look for even the slightest imperfections to give themselves an excuse to sell. And on the conference call, CEO Brian Halligan gave you just what he admitted to gave you just what you didn't want to hear. He gave you disappointment. Quote, I feel like we had a really solid quarter here. 33% growth was really good, really solid. It could have been higher. And the reason it wasn't higher wasn't macro. Uh-oh, that doesn't sound good. Halden goes on, quote, I think the reason it wasn't higher was more execution on our side earlier in the year. Hiring, we fell behind hiring, and that's rippling through. End quote, ouch, it gets worse. Halden goes on, quote, the other thing is just we, we had an outage back in March, and that outage was kind of a big deal. Like, we talked to a lot of customers about it. It really impacted them, and we take our responsibility very seriously, end quote. I mean, that's why HubSpot's guidance for the next quarter was weaker than expected and why its stock got clobbered today. Nobody cares about the results when the outlook's disappointing. Why should we care about HubSpot? I mean, HubSpot, why, why does this even matter? I mean, honestly, I mean, I bet most of you have never even heard of HubSpot until just now. It's the kind of outfit you only know about if you're in business with them or if you're in some sort of momentum fund. But there's a good reason for you to care. 
See, HubSpot helps its clients find new customers and expand. These clients tend to be small, medium-sized businesses, SMB. If you go to the company's website, they highlight a spokesperson for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland saying how HubSpot's done so much to bring in new visitors. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is many things, but it is not a big business. Which brings us to the real problem here. I can think of practically a dozen outfits like HubSpot. Do the same thing kind of as HubSpot off the top of my head. A dozen fast-growing cloud-based marketing companies with momentum stocks. Each one has at least a half billion smackers in sales and $6 billion market cap, just like this one. If you hire HubSpot, I bet they do a great job. Although they did have that major outage earlier this year, and that might not, and they may not have enough salespeople. You know what? To get salespeople, you've got to have a stock that's continuing to climb all the time. Uh, but here's the question. Who the heck even needs something like this $6 billion company in your portfolio? After listening to that conference call, I know I sure don't. Plus, in fairness, HubSpot has a horrible chart, and many momentum traders, the kind of money managers who might be willing to buy the stock, they're also chart followers. After last night's dispiriting conference call, it's just too easy for momentum traders to dump HubSpot and swap into a competitor with proven management, like, say, Adobe. Two days ago, Adobe held an analyst meeting. They were very, very bullish, good guidance. It's stock a heck of a lot cheaper, selling for less than 30 times next year's earnings. Well, HubSpot sells it for about 89 times. Or you can swap into Salesforce or Zendesk or Ring Central or 5.9, which just reported a terrific quarter, by the way, of its own, sending the stock up almost 9%. Sure, these are very different cloud companies when it get real granular, but they're all part of the same turbocharged growth cohort and it's kind of like if we were playing MI Diversified, I'd say they're all the same thing. At the end of the day, we have a glut of cloud-based software stocks like HubSpot, and that makes them all tough to own. After that quarter, who needs it? Definitely not you and your portfolio. Stick with me. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus, special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. Tough night for Expedia. This online travel area has gotten very, very tough. I'm just not sure I can recommend anything in that, although I did think that Marriott, which is obviously brick and mortar travel, was a pretty good quarter the other day. That one seems to be a better play. Like I said, there's always a bull market summer. Promise try to find it just for you right here on Man Bunny. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.